Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. The topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. Very good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Radio Show. Heard now exclusively here, W4CY, and of course elsewhere on the internet. Great to be together with you on the radio. And thank you for being tuned in to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Radio Show, where I, yes, your radio rabbi, reveals how the world really works. That is the solemn duty that I undertake, along with making absolutely sure that uh, the time you invest with me will be well rewarded. That is the crucial point for me, because if you think about it, really the only commodity that is really in short supply is time. Now, a lot of people say that uh, money is in short supply. That's a commodity you're short of. And heaven knows, I think everybody feels that they could well use a little extra of that commodity. But uh, let me let me tell you, um, let me tell you the the secret here. The secret is that the commodity of money can be created. You know, people say, you know, I've got this great business plan, but I just don't have the capital. I just don't have the capital. Um, well, part of it is if it if it really is a great business plan, the capital will be forthcoming. But there's one other requirement, and that is you have to be adequately connected. And so in my, uh, I, you know, I've, I've got something called an income abundance package where I, I take the various aspects of what is needed to create money um, and uh, I devote either a book or an audio program to each of these things. Now, one of them is called Prosperity Power Connect for Success. And what this stresses is that the best business plan in the whole world will produce nothing if you don't have already have set up, if you haven't already have set up the connections, if you already haven't set up the relationships. Uh, similarly, 
if uh, you are the most uh, gregarious person and you've got all kinds of relationships and all kinds of connections, but you haven't actually uh, uh, come up with any, well, that also doesn't work. We need both those things at all times, right? We need the ideas and the creativity, but we also need the connections. That's also what is absolutely essential. And, um, and together, those really do make the commodity of money much less of a problem than the commodity of time. And uh, gosh, well, all right. So um, we've got uh, – first of all, I should, I should give you our number, of course, and as everybody knows, 561 561- Six two three nine four two nine. So write that on uh, uh, in lipstick on your bathroom mirror. Uh, put it um, in the dust on your uh, counter. Uh, gouge it into the dining room table with a chisel. Five six one six two three nine four two nine. Because what that does is make absolutely sure that uh, this isn't just rabbinic oratory. This isn't just a divine diatribe, but it actually becomes two-way radio. It really does become an opportunity for us to converse, okay, for us to dialogue. Uh, What's the difference between a conversation and a dialogue? Any thoughts? Let Let me tell you an example. A conversation is where very little new information emerges. So let's imagine, <laughs> let's imagine uh, you and me uh, watching a game on television, and uh, during halftime we converse about the game. This is a conversation because we both saw exactly the same game, and uh, we converse about it. Now, it, it is possible. It is possible that one of us will bring a new piece of information to bear unknown to the other party, but uh, the conversation can be perfectly satisfying without it conveying any new information. We can just be, yeah, yeah, didn't he play great? Yeah, he played great. And that in in camaraderie and brotherhood, uh, yeah, that's fine. And and women in conversation do that all the time. A dialogue is when uh, there is actually Uh, new information coming in from both parties. The conversation is more than just a conversation, but they're actually advancing. They're advancing the the discussion towards some, in some direction, I should say, as a result of each person adding and bringing something new in. And uh, I always find that the conversations that I have on radio are invariably that kind of conversation invariably, the kind of conversation that is the result of new information coming in. It's, it's very, very rare, very rare for me not to hear something from one of you callers that is completely fresh and completely new that I simply did not know about before, something I never heard about, something I, I wasn't aware of. And, um, and that makes it uh, doubly exciting for me. It makes it uh, it makes it fun. It really does. Um, why is it? Why is it that the American Muslim community appears to be more benign than the European Muslim community? 
right? The overwhelming majority of violent crime in Scandinavian countries, Norway and Sweden, Muslim immigrants. It's it's perfectly well known, perfectly well understood. Um, in in France, uh, enough said, I think. Right? Uh, we're now in Belgium. Obvious. Germany, we know about that. So what is it? What is it about the United States? Now, heaven knows, uh, we've certainly had our instances, right? We've certainly had our examples. We've had our problems. Uh, But um, what is it that makes it different in the United States? Yeah, you know, we've we've had our major Nisal uh, Nidal Hassans, who shot up Fort Hood. You might remember the Washington, D.C. snipers that the authorities also went to great lengths to avoid identifying as Islamic terror. But if one actually listened to the statements of the two perpetrators themselves, um, there was there was no doubt at all, no doubt whatsoever that that was what was happening. So, you know, what uh, what is the difference? Why is it that in the United States there is uh, certainly less? We certainly have it, but um, but it's not the same. And you certainly get the impression that a, uh, a Muslim terrorist intent on inflicting harm in Europe will find full support by just venturing into those outlying suburbs of Paris, those outlying suburbs of Reims, those outlying suburbs of uh, Lyon or Marseille um, where, uh, that are populated almost entirely by, by Muslims and areas into which French, the French gendarmerie uh, will not even enter. Right. And, uh, and, and you get the impression that they would receive full unquestioning support over there. But how's about where, uh, how's about here? You don't get that impression. As a matter of fact, other than in parts of Detroit, uh, in Michigan, it's kind of hard to think about, you know, where are Muslim neighborhoods, isn't it? I mean, like in where you live. There's, there's, there's bound to be Muslims living there, but like, is there some sort of neighborhood that is the Muslim neighborhood? And do you get the impression that it's sort of dangerous to enter there? I don't think so. I don't think that's the case in the United States of America. And I, I want to suggest a reason for why that might be. And I want to compare that and contrast that with uh, something that's happening in Canada right now, sadly. Sadly, because uh, personally, I'm, I'm very fond of our neighbors to the north. I, I'm an enormous admirer of uh, Prime Minister Stephen Harper, whom I sincerely hope and pray will win another term as the leader of Canada. I really hope so. Uh, but it, and, and so it saddens me to, to comment on, well, particularly uh, three major pieces of bad financial news from Canada lately. One of them is uh, the BlackBerry, the BlackBerry company. Now, 
I think that pretty much everybody listening will remember that it's, it's not that long ago that BlackBerry was the dominant business form of communication. If you were seriously involved, if you were in business and you needed a phone and email on the go, you used a BlackBerry. And this for several reasons. First of all, it had this marvelous keypad. You could thumb type flawlessly on a BlackBerry keypad. And I know of what I speak because uh, I myself was a BlackBerry enthusiast, serious BlackBerry enthusiast. I was. And uh, now what's happened since then? Since then, you just don't have such a thing. Today, serious, uh, serious uh, business communication today, sorry, it's Android or Apple. Who's using a BlackBerry anymore? And the other good thing about a BlackBerry was also the security because the um, uh, BlackBerry information flowed uh, through a private set of servers. It was, it, was, it was wonderful. I mean, the system was secured, worked. BlackBerry seemed to have everything going for it, everything going for it. And uh, today, I have to tell you that I think the probability of a, uh, of a revival of BlackBerry, although, you know, never say never in business, um, but ah, so never say never, but I don't think, my view, I don't think you're going to see a BlackBerry revival. Um, not the same for Bombardier. Bombardier's just had some really bad news. Bombardier is a, a Canadian builder of regional jets. Uh, I think they also build the Learjet, if I'm not mistaken, and they also build trains, you know, for uh, rapid transits around the world. They've just had uh, just a really bad, bad few months. Uh, they're, they're one of the, the, the development of one of their new plane initiatives has, has gone on indefinite hold. Um, it's just bad, bad news. So one big Canadian company, BlackBerry, down and out. Another big Canadian company, Bombardier, bad, bad news. Um, a third thing, and this one, by the way, is a slightly different category, which is Target has just announced that it's pulling out of Canada. Pulling out of Canada. And that means uh, 133 stores are being closed down. And that means over 17,000 Canadians lose their jobs. That means $4 billion of startup costs in Canada down the tubes. So it's, it's like three pieces of bad news. Does this have anything to do with why in the United States of America – the situation of, let's put it this way, the Muslim population is a little bit more benign than the Muslim population is in Europe. Now, um, if you are on W4CY.com, then you're able to join the chat room. And so uh, I want to just take a quick look there if I can. Good morning, everybody. And um, uh, we we see uh, uh Deborah says hi, and Captain Terrier, <laughs> can't get his name changed, um, and uh, 
um, somebody asks me about um, sharing my thoughts on a book and um, I uh, uh, don't really I don't really want to do that um, to be perfectly honest I very seldom talk about books because not everyone listening has read all those books and uh, this particular book I was asked about is extremely unlikely to have been read by uh, a lot of people I know the author uh, Dex, I, I know who the author is, and I, he was a rabbi in Los Angeles during the same period I was. We were we were colleagues, although um, he uh, went on record as saying that uh, the Exodus never really happened. The Israelites never went into Egypt, never went out of Egypt, and I challenged him on that at the time, saying, "Well, in that case, why would anybody ever come to your synagogue? Because the Exodus is so central to the entire Jewish experience that if it didn't happen, then." <laughs> then nothing. Then the whole thing is meaningless. And why be Jewish? There's really no reason for anybody to stay Jewish. And I, I he, somehow it's like, almost as if he never thought that through. It was it was an odd odd uh, uh, dialogue. It really was. But uh, anyway, so uh, sorry, Dex, but no, I won't be doing that on the air. Happy to do that. Uh, if you write me an email, go to my website. You need a rabbi dot com. And write me an email. You know, there's a little tab there. Contact us, Dex. Go ahead, do that, and I'll, I'll be happy to tell you what I think about it. But uh, don't want to do that on the air. Um, uh, then uh, Joe from El Sabrandi says, "Good morning, Rabbi. I thought you might want to know the list of people in the chat room goes from five to off screen once your program starts." Huh? Um, Producer Rebel, I'm I'm not sure if you know anything about that, but if you have a minute, you might be able to look into that. Um, Gemma writes, the Muslim population hasn't reached a certain percentage yet. There's been research done on percentage rates of Muslims in a country and how it's connected to the amount of violence, etc. And um, uh, yeah, that that so that is certainly some um, – th there, is, there is definitely some truth to that. Uh, no question about it, but at the same time, uh, there are neighborhoods and, and areas where the density of, of Muslim population has reached that critical point, Gemma, and, uh, and, and we still don't see the same thing happening over there. So uh, I'm familiar with what you're talking about, but I don't think that that explains it. And then Captain Terry writes, I've never traveled to Israel. It is my understanding that if you have an Israeli entry stamp on your passport, you are not allowed into Arab countries. If this is true, how can one fly from Israel to Syria? There was a news report about a cell captured in Israel. One was captured at the airport going to Syria. How is this possible? Okay, so listen, uh, Captain Terry. Recently, I traveled um, with Mrs. Lappin from Ben-Gurion Airport in Israel to Amman, Jordan. And uh, with an Israeli entry stamp in our passport, we then went from there to Abu Dhabi and entered Abu Dhabi. We went through immigration and uh, left the airport. And again, Israel stamps in the passport, no problem at all. So uh, just, to, just to tell you that. Uh, then Megan writes, yes, here in mid-Tennessee, we do have a Muslim neighborhood where no one goes into. I own, a retail, rate, uh, I own a retail store and they do not assimilate in the community. Um, Gemma writes, their goal is to take over the world. We ignore that our own peril. And um, uh, we got a few other things. Um, mm -mm -mm -mm. Uh, all right. Okay. This is all on the chat room. 
and um, there it is. Okay, so um, <laughs> you know one of, one of the things, and and this is really uh, something I'm going to have to address if, with uh, with internet radio, which is that it's it's I, I can tell it has to be frustrating for you listening because you can tell when my attention is distracted by the chat room, and when I'm glancing through things on on the chat room, then of necessity I'm probably talking <laughs> more slowly or more uh, distractedly at any rate. So I'm going to have to sort that out because that's that's not really a, a suitable way of uh, of handling things at all. But we'll. Uh, we'll we'll get a um, uh, we, we'll get the hang of this. Our phone number, as uh, as I remind you, is area code five six one six two three nine four two nine six two area code five six one six two three nine four two nine. And uh, let me uh, let me tell you about why I do believe that Canada has had some bad economic news lately. And in general, it isn't just that uh, BlackBerry, uh, a famed and for many years very successful Canadian company, and Bombardier, the heavy manufacturer, um, it's uh, have done well, but are now doing horribly. It's it's more than that. It's that there haven't been the same number of companies. So in other words, I understand, obviously, the Canadian population is far, far smaller than the American population, far, far smaller. But if you prorate it, they still don't have the same kind of business enterprise that we do in the United States of America. Uh, a, uh, as much as about 3% of the entire Canadian economic output is the result of resources, oil, timber, fishing, mining. In other words, things that come from nature, things that come out of the earth or from the earth. Uh, industry, much, much less. And so there are far more, proportionately speaking, far more in the United States than in Canada. Why is that? What, what is missing in Canada? And uh, I would suggest, I would suggest the following. I think that number one, the communications in the United States are far better than they are in Canada. Um, it is easier to drive across the United States than it is across Canada. Uh, trucking lines communicate uh, goods around the United States far more easily than in Canada. The interstate highway system initiated by President Eisenhower, really one of the, one of the great, great things done by any American president, um, made an enormous difference to finance and economy. Why do I say this? Well, because it's important to know that throughout the economic epoch in which we live, Every major breakthrough in communication resulted in a massive uh, meteoric increase in economic productivity. And uh, I've spoken in the past about how this appears to have happened roughly on a 50-year on a uh, cycle. And, and it's, it's really rather remarkable um, in that uh, it, it really has. So around about 1750 – Around about the middle of the 18th century, you had uh, the emergence 
of of shipping began to to take place in a, in a very real kind of a way, and all of a sudden it began to to be reliable. You you'd get reliable transatlantic shipping, and you'll find this big big. Uh, rise this uh, a big boost onto a new plateau in Western economic productivity. Um, eighteen hundred, okay, eighteen hundred, we saw the beginning of the railroads, massive, massive increase in wealth peaks around about eighteen hundred. Eighteen fifty, the telegraph, quite amazing. Right, eighteen was actually eighteen forty-eight, but just approximately eighteen fifty, uh, the telegraph, and you had undersea cables being run very soon after that. Uh, eighteen forty-eight was when the first uh, message down a copper wire was carried between Washington D.C. and Baltimore, and it was remarkable, and uh, and, and that produced this massive increase. Uh, nineteen hundred was the telephone and radio. Right, commercial radio uh, began at that point. Uh, amazing. Well, it was a little bit later than that, but but the telephone comes about at that point. And then 1950, broadcast television. 2000, the internet. And each of these things is accompanied by this massive increase. So, as a general rule, then, if a large number of people a talk the same language, b can communicate ideas and C can communicate goods and services, you have uh, the the basis set for economic growth. Uh, America, English language, fantastic roads, and soon after that, fantastic plane service. It's much cheaper. In other words, it's far more within the capacity of the wage of ordinary people uh, to jump on a plane and go between uh, – um, you know, Washington, D.C. and Chicago or New York and Atlanta or um, uh, Dallas and, and Miami. You can do that far more easily than you can in Canada. Uh, the, uh, the highway system in Canada, not as developed. And, um, and so but those things can happen. So I don't count Canada out at all because they could well be moving in that direction. There's one other factor as well, and this may be – we are moving in the wrong direction. They're moving in the right direction. Uh, my dear friends, I cannot stress adequately that if there is an activity that deep down in your heart you consider to be morally reprehensible, you will never excel at that activity. It's as simple as that. If you don't really have a belief that what you're doing is – morally valid even it's in even if it's in your own moral system by the way it, that also works or if you're totally amoral that also works but most of us are not amoral and most of us do i say most of us that's not everybody i mean i know there are plenty of people who listen who don't but there most of us subscribe in one way or another fundamentally to sort of some sort of judeo christian moral outlook but whatever it is if you do not have conviction that what you're doing is valuable and valid, it'll be harder for you to do that. Uh, I, um, I was quoted uh, on Thursday of this past week in a, um, 
an online paper called the Times of Israel, which has become probably the most widely read source of news on Israel and anything having to do with Israel. It's called the timesofisrael.com. And uh, if you search for LAP and L-A-P-I-N on that, you'll, you'll find the article. It's an article about B&H Electronics. B&H Electronics is uh, the largest and most successful brick and mortar electronics and camera photo store, um, certainly in the United States, maybe in the world. And uh, uh, it's in Manhattan, and uh, it's owned and operated by Orthodox Jews. And uh, the journalist who was doing a piece on B&H Electronics contacted me as, uh, as she says, as a rabbinic scholar and as an economist. <laughs> Did you get that? Rabbinic scholar and economist. Uh, and she uh, was asking me about BNH, and I was sort of talking about how ancient Jewish wisdom serves as the sort of operating guide uh, for the owners and managers of uh, BNH Electronics, and um, you know how and why uh, things work for them, and uh, and um, and uh, you know why and what what they do, and so on. And and I, I you know I spoke about that, so. Um, at synagogue yesterday, I'm in synagogue, it's Saturday, it's Shabbat, and somebody who read it comes up to me and says, uh, are you saying that I don't work for the money? He says, that's ridiculous. Of course I work for money. And um, I, it took me a moment to register, and then I realized he had read the story in the Times of Israel about B&H Electronics, and uh, that quoted me extensively. Um, and in it, I said, we don't work for money. We work for the opportunity to serve God's other children. The money flows automatically. It's as simple as that. And um, so uh, he said, well, is, isn't it all about greed? I mean, I, I just want more money, so I work. And so I said, look, uh, I dare say that I don't know how well you're doing in business, but I will tell you this. You're not doing nearly as well as you could be if you saw your work in a different light. We're human beings, and we are very much a function of how we feel and how we function very often on a subconscious level. I mean, today, most experienced uh, medical professionals acknowledge the role that the subconscious plays in our health. We, in the old days, we used to call this holistic medicine, you know, but um, there's much more to it than that. Uh, we actually impact our health by our subconscious state of affairs. And uh, doctors involved in healing, doctors involved in pain management, doctors involved in disease control, all understand and recognize this already. Uh, they've, they've all um, paid some attention to studies done on the role of prayer. Uh, but one thing, while there while there are debates on that side, there are no debates that uh, that uh, that patients who who have strong connections with family and friends do better in recovery than those that don't. They've studied heart disease extensively in this area. So, I mean, the our spiritual mood and mode. Uh, our subconscious plays an enormous role in our physical health. Why wouldn't it play an enormous role in our economic health? Well, of course it does. And uh, and so I, I explained again that uh, 
if if you see your customers and now look if you're in business you have customers i i remember in preparation for one of my books interviewing um, and finding out what the deans of the country's biggest schools of business believe is the definition of a business. And I got some real doozies, i got to tell you. And nobody came up with the only true definition of a business, which is if you have customers. <laughs> I mean, it's as simple as that. If you've got customers, you have a business. If you don't, you don't. I mean, that's, that's the truth. And, uh, and I said to this guy at synagogue yesterday, look, you know, if you view your customers as nothing other than people who you have to separate from their money, and I am in the same business as you, but I look as customers as people that I have the privilege of serving, I, all other things being equal, you know, in terms of capitalization and everything else, all things being equal, I'm going to do better than you will. There's no question about it. I just will. And so uh, the fact is that America has better communication than Canada. But more than that, it has a tradition of venerating business. Young people used to be raised in America on the dream of making good. This was before a, a socialist a socialist author uh, came up with the term robber barons. And that was the beginning of a time of change in the United States of America, where we began to look on successful people with distaste. We began to look on successful people with suspicion. And very, very depressing, very bad. And so Canada, with a little bit more of a tradition of the British approach, touch of socialism, but above all, a distrust of the self-made man in a way that in America we used to say with pride, I am a self-made man. I came to town with a nickel in my pocket and look at me now, right? That's what people used to say, a little bit boastful and arrogant, but that's what people used to say. In England, inherited money was considered to be of higher status than made money. As a matter of fact, the British used to have a disparaging term for people who made a lot of money. Merchants, the merchant class, and uh, the, the aristocratic class, the, uh, those closest to the royal family, used to look down disparagingly, and they would mock self-made men. Well, Canada is much more British than America is, obviously. We rejected that notion. Canada retained it. And I just want you to understand that in the same way that your innermost belief system impacts how you as an individual are going to do in the grand enterprise of making money, it also impacts how societies operate. And so if you wanted to know why it is that uh, tiny, tiny Israel has about the same gross domestic product as its contiguous neighbors with more than 20 times the population? The answer is very simple. It's a belief system. Judaism, in its deepest belief, encourages the making of money because making money in an honest, open, transparent environment is proof that you've served other human beings and made God smile. Whereas in Quranic culture, there is no such thing. 
it's just whatever happens is just the will of Allah. And so obviously, which, which culture is going to stimulate its adherence towards greater achievement? I mean, it's not even hard to figure this out. That's all. And so when I see um, economic failures in Canada, I'm sad. And when I analyze why it is that, that Canada has never enjoyed the same kind of um, economic productivity, and it was the, the number of large companies created in the United States obviously is going to be more than in Canada because of the population. But proportionately, it's still much bigger. That is because of communication and perhaps even more importantly, because of culture. Let me just pause to take a look and see if anybody is calling us. Um, looks like nobody wants to speak to me today. How depressing. What is this? Like, we hate Rabbi Sunday? I don't get it. Uh, area code 561-623-9429. Okay, you didn't have your pen ready because you didn't know I was going to give you the number. Okay, get your pen ready. Come along. All right, there we go again. One more time, 561 623 9429. And uh, if you forget it, you can just look at the um, top of the website of uh, w4cy.com and uh, you'll see the number printed there. You'll also see the, um, you see the chat screen. So how would it be now if I just take a, a few moments, take a look at the chat room? Do you mind? First of all, Dex, thank me for my insight about the author of the book when I explained why I didn't want to do that. Uh, and so thanks, Dex. I appreciate it. And again, happy to discuss it with you by email. Just go to my website at uh, youneedarabbi.com. Click on the Contact Us tab and uh, away you go. Also, by the way, if um, if any of you or, or anyone you love is, in the, uh, is, is trying to increase income in 2015, and for heaven's sake, I can't. I can't see – I mean, unless I've got somebody who uh, sits on the United States Supreme Court or, or is a tenured university professor. Like, you are the only categories of people I can think of, right, who are not in business one way or another, who are not in the business of correctly trying to make more money. Uh, so if you are happen, you're listening and you happen to sit, you happen to be one of the nine members of the United States Supreme Court, do not listen to what I'm going to say next. If you are a tenured professor at an American university, do not listen to what I'm going to say next. But uh, to everybody else, there is literally, uh, if you find what I say in general on the radio to have any validity at all, and you are hoping to increase your revenue in this coming year, not tomorrow or next week, but during the course of the, the next four quarters, uh, then there is no excuse, there's no reason for you not to have a copy of or a set of my income abundance package. I'm serious. It's, it's, I mean, we're talking, it's really, it, it makes absolutely no sense because either you think that what I have to say possesses some validity um, or you don't. If you don't, then you shouldn't waste any time on a valuable Sunday morning uh, listening to me. If you do, then you really need to be able to study, review, and work on the income abundance set. And uh, if you go to my website at youneedarabbi.com or rabbidaniellappin.com, same thing, uh, you will see on the front page the income abundance set. And um, I, 
I, I, I just, I, it makes absolutely no sense for you or, you know, maybe it's a relative of yours who's starting a business or involved in a business that needs to grow, or maybe it's somebody looking for a job. For heaven's sake, there are right and wrong ways to be job seeking. And not everybody, like you don't get born knowing how to do it any more than you get born knowing how to dance ballet or make an omelet or do brain surgery. We all need training. And um, uh, even, by the way, on on something as uh, basic as speaking. Right now, uh, I am reasonably good. I could be a whole lot better and I, I know people who are a whole lot better. I'm reasonably good in the business of speaking, but you can't imagine the kind of improvement I've gained when I have been taught by somebody who knows a whole lot more than me. And so um, just be aware of that. There's, there's, there's real value, real value in being able to uh, gain information because none of us are born knowing how to do whatever it is we want to do. And when, uh, when I say make sure you get hold of the income abundance set on my website, um, that's not because I am so smart. It's because what I have captured in that set is the accumulated wisdom of the one group of people on this planet who have done conspicuously better than everybody else. At what? Making money. Simple as that, really. Uh, let me spend a moment on, on the uh, chat room, if you will. <clears throat> um, let's see. Um, Avery, how about Islamaburg, New York? I'm not sure what that is. Um, and Emily writes in Canada, there's just too much socialism. Yes, address. That's exactly right. Sure. Um, Peter. Peter says in Canada, there's no First Amendment <laughs> or Second Amendment. That's absolutely true. Um, and, and I think First Amendment, particularly in terms of speech, this idea of just speak, communicating information, yeah, value in that. Angel writes, I'm guessing they're more benign. Here we're talking about why Muslims uh, are more benign in America than in Europe. Uh, they know Americans are not unarmed. All the Muslim attacks you noted, all shooting in general, happen in the few gun-free zones we have. Excellent point. Not the point I was making, but an excellent point. The point I was making is that in America, upward economic mobility is much more real than in Europe. And you've got to think that other than for a few uh, disaffiliated and alienated young Islamic fanatics like the Boston bombers and, and like many of the, I mean, look, we've had Muslim attacks in this country and we've had many more that have been thwarted. Uh, but um, in general, compared to the number of Muslims in the country, and we probably have uh, somewhere upwards of 2 million Muslims in America already. Uh, they, frankly, if our numbers would be like uh, Europe, we'd have more. We really would. And I think part of it is that for the majority of Muslims, the opportunity to make money and advance is more appealing than the opportunity of winning 70 virgins in the afterlife. I really think it's as simple as that. And uh, in Europe, if you're living in one of those hopeless uh, 
ghettos, those Muslim ghettos outside big, Amer- big French cities, your chances of making any progress are very, very small. And uh, this is one of the reasons, by the way, that I think that uh, uh, mixed neighborhoods are healthier than segregated neighborhoods. And I would say, if anything, you know, crime, crime is unfortunately found more in, in areas where there's a sense of economic hopelessness. Now, I'm not saying poverty causes crime. I think, if anything, crime causes poverty. But, uh, but it is true that it's in segregated neighborhoods in America where we tend to see more crime than in mixed neighborhoods. Now, when I say segregated neighborhoods, uh, let's, let's be honest about this. I don't want, I don't want to be accused of uh, dancing around political correctness instead of being honest. Uh, white-only neighborhoods do not have the same crime problem as black-only neighborhoods. And very often, and more often than not, it's innocent African-Americans who are the victims of crime. Of course, in our distorted, color-obsessed society, uh, crime committed by whites against blacks is far more newsworthy than crimes committed by blacks against blacks, or for that matter, blacks against whites. Uh, just the tragedy of, uh, where we, uh, of, of just where we are. Um, but... Uh, um, okay, look, uh, I said I wanted to go back to comments and I do. Oh, good. Here's M- Engineer Mark. Hi, Engineer Mark. Um, uh, so good to hear from you. And uh, Engineer Mark is, uh, is, is my secret weapon because of his knowledge and experience. Uh, Engineer Mark says he's on a remote broad, his, his, well, I don't want to say what he does or where he does it, but uh, he is um, engaged on a, on a remote assignment. He is listening on a tablet and he has no difficulty on getting in on the chat. So again, I'm speaking particularly to folks who are listening on their tablets or their phones. Uh, just be aware that it is possible to get on the chat through those devices. You just have to fiddle around a little bit. And um, all right, so I want to just take a look more at at comments and tell you about those. Uh, Angel writes, and I know, by the way, that the names on the chat room are not necessarily your real names. They may not even be the names you chose. You have to kind of right-click on your name in the the right-hand column to change your name to whatever you want it to be. Angel writes, I'm guessing they're more benign, meaning Muslims are more benign in the United States because they know Americans are not unarmed. All the Muslim attacks you noted, all shooting in general, happen in the few gun-free zones we have. She's right. That U.S. military bases should be gun-free zones is like something you'd see in a comedy. I mean, I know future historians are going to say, what? American military bases are what? Yeah, gun-free zones. Whoa, crazy. Um, and, um, Captain Terry, oh, so Captain Terry is writing in, in response to my pointing out that, yes, I did fly from Ben Gurion airport to Amman airport in Jordan without any trouble. Um, and, uh, and my son, by the way, my son drove with some of his friends from Israel into Jordan to visit, um, certain tourist sites that are, you know, notable tourist sites in Jordan. So Captain Terry writes, this may allow me to make one more dream of, come true, to sail on the lowest navigable body of water in the world, the Dead Sea. Um, Captain Terry, 
um, Israel borders on the black on the on the Dead Sea, so you don't even have to go there to Jordan. You can just go to Israel and sail on the Dead Sea, but you really wouldn't want to do that. Uh, I don't know if you ever tried sailing on the Great Salt Lake in Utah, and the, people do. Uh, do you know how long it takes to chew up metal parts? <laughs> have you any idea of the rate of corrosion? Well. The Dead Sea is so much more saline than the Great, um, the, than the Salt Sea, the Salt Lake in Utah, that it makes Salt Lake look like a freshwater spring. That's how saline the Dead Sea is. There's so much salt in it that you can't sink. You actually float like high up out of the water. It's, it's bizarre. It's a very weird feeling. So trust me, there's no boating on the Dead Sea. You really wouldn't want to. And uh, and so. If you if you haven't yet sailed in British Columbia, Western Canada, Captain Terry, trust me that that's a far more fulfilling dream than sailing on the Dead Sea. No, you just do not want to do that. Um, Peter writes, second only to America in new product development is, wait for it, Canada? Wrong. It's Israel. Hmm, I wonder why that would be. Very interesting point. He's absolutely right. Uh in, in uh, countries for, with developing new products successfully, bringing new products to market, Israel is second only to the United States of America. And, and that's really, I, I think that kind of helps make my point. Um, uh, Ariel writes, American Muslims resent some of their leaders being co-opted by George Soros and Hillary Clinton and therefore are against terrorism. Captain Terry writes, most people don't know that the interstate highway system was a military project, which was left incomplete. There was supposed to be an interstate every 100 miles, hence the way it is numbered. Oh, very interesting. Uh, I do know it's numbered, odd numbers, even numbers, north, south. Ariel writes, the radical fringes of the Democratic Party are the top terrorists and terrorist supporters in the USA. Terry writes, the school lunch program was also under the Defense Department. Most men drafted or those enlisting were malnourished, so we have a school lunch program. Interesting. Ariel writes, the top supporters of terrorism in the USA belong to the Soros-led Occupy and Answer groups. There have been several mass casualties who were planned but were thwarted by the FBI. Lauren writes, nothing. She was Lauren was going to but didn't finish it. Um, <clears throat> Uh, Ariel writes about terrorism and the radical left. Um, Producer Rebel reminds us that call lines are open at 561-623-9429. And I think we have some calls to take, which I'll do in a moment. Uh, Danette, dear Rabbi, socialism together with its handmaiden, the so-called green energy scam, is destroying Canada's industrial heartland, Ontario. Similarly, the EPA is taking the U.S. down the same green road to bankruptcy. Uh, I would agree with you. Um, Danette, I think you're exactly right. Dex, where have we gone wrong? Radical Islamists proclaim, if you do not agree with us, then you are our enemy that needs to be punished. This is revenge. Why does the President Obama express and share similar tenets? Uh, Terry, Captain Terry, Danette, did you vote for Nixon? He started the EPA. It's true. Um, look, I mean, when Republicans fail to, uh, to advance conservative values, it's profoundly depressing. I'll tell you right now, Republicans talking about uh, fixing Medicare, fixing fixing the uh, Obamacare. No, you should be talking about getting rid of it. Uh, when Republicans talk about, well, we can increase gasoline taxes now because gas prices have gone down. No, no, defund the left. No, don't buy the left's argument. Well, we need to repair highways. Listen, that's forever been the cry of the left. 
They never, ever say we need to raise taxes because we want to hire more people under the federal payroll so that they'll always vote Democrat. No, it's always we have to make sure the libraries stay open. Do you remember what they did when the so-called closure of government and the, um, the cutback of government spending? They hit you where it hurts, the libraries, the national parks. I mean, why do they have to close off the Washington Monument in D.C.? Uh, the um, the pair of climbers, which I'll t- I hope to still tell you about, who scaled uh, the dawn wall of El Capitan in Yosemite this past week, 19 days to free climb. <laughs> it's, it's truly remarkable. Uh, they've been they've spent a few years planning this. They were thrown out. They couldn't do it during that sequester period. The government hits you where it hurts, and they always explain. Uh, reasons for taxes. Oh, it's to help the fire department. It's to help the road building. It's to help. No, don't buy it. There's plenty of money if they'd stop using it for the wrong things. Republicans, for God's sake, stop endorsing tax increases for anything at all. Just remember the failed promise of Bush 41, no new taxes. Um, uh, Tony writes, good morning, Rabbi. I put it to you. BlackBerry, like Nokia Finland, failed simply because they failed to capitalize on the entertainment opportunity that Apple successfully integrated with business applications. Yeah, absolutely true. But I must tell you, when Apple, when the iPhone first came out, many people uh, felt that they would never compete with on the business. And I, I must confess, I was wrong on that one. That I called wrong. I thought BlackBerry would retain its lead for serious business use and that the Apple would be the sort of, yes, as you say, the entertainment front. Never believed that business would shift so quickly. And I'll tell you part of the explanation for that. Um, and this is a very, very important distinction between BlackBerry and Apple. BlackBerry in those days tried to remain proprietary. BlackBerry was it. If it didn't come to you through BlackBerry, you didn't have it. There was no app store. Apple at the outset said, let's harness the creativity of millions of people. And they opened up the concept of everybody feel free to try and create the app that, or the application that you felt was most useful. And all of a sudden, the iPhone did become more useful than anything else, not because of the phone itself, which was not necessarily superior to the BlackBerry, but because of the vast universe of apps. And so anytime in your business you find a way to exclude other people, you're making a mistake. Every time you find a way to expand your connectivity with other people, you're doing something smart and something positive. Okay, so... um, let us uh, let us go to um, Dinah. Dinah's calling from California, and um, uh, I want to welcome you, Dinah. If you're there, Dinah, please join us here on the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Radio Show. Good morning to you. Hi. Phonetically, you are right. It's Dinah, but I call myself Dina. Uh, it's short for Geraldine. <laughs> oh, oh, how interesting, because Dina is the Hebrew pronunciation of the name of Jacob's daughter. And, uh, and I, just oh, I love assu- that. Yeah, so huh. most, I just assume most, most people go with the, the English, the, the Dina pronunciation, um, but you go with the Dina, which is absolutely correct, even though uh, for you it's short for Geraldina. So um, yeah. uh, sorry for mispronouncing it at first, but I got it right now. Uh, where about in California are you, Dina? 
Uh, well, Santa Rosa, well, you know, it's a cell phone, so I'm in Massachusetts. Oh, <laughs> I see. Well, you're all over the place. <laughs> yes. Got it. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> well, thank, but, you um, for, thank you for joining us. Uh, what's on your mind? Okay. Oh, I just wanted to tell you that uh, just all, all your business information is so wonderful. I pass it on to my uh, daughter and son-in-law. They're, they started their own business, and they seem so happy. They work so hard, and they seem so happy. And, and they really tell me that the CDs I send them help with their life. And uh, the books, you know, their their understanding of business, and and they it must be working because they enjoy it, you know. And I, and I'm then I mentioned if, if they enjoy it, it also means that they're making money, because nobody nobody should yeah. enjoy a business that's failing. I think they are making money, but you know, it's only the first year, and so you work. You know, they say the first year, and I did mention. I said, well, uh, if if it they're in California, I said if they're I said, well, if you don't do well, you know, you have all this experience that you've gotten, you know, to work, you know, for other people. And they said, what? Work for other people? <laughs> They're just so delighted with working on their own and doing their own business. And they, you know, they they, they make a good product. So, you know, uh, it, it works well. But I have to tell you that it's your information that I think really inspires them. And uh, it's what I send to them. And also in their relationship, I sent them the CD, um, Madam, I'm Madam. And, uh, and they listen to it when they, you know, they travel around California, so they have to, you know, they listen and, uh, to the CD. So it works out beautifully. I'm and, so happy to hear that. Thank you. And I love listening to you, too, every, when I can every Sunday. I am delighted to know that, and uh, I really appreciate that uh, you are helping to spread the information from ancient Jewish wisdom on growing business, and uh, I'm even more thrilled to know that it's helping your, your children. That's wonderful. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I wish more, I wish more uh, young people could hear it. I wish everybody could hear you. <laughs> well, folks, uh, anyway, for, the, for, those of, for those of you who, uh, who have not yet uh, availed yourself of this. Um, it is all on my website, on the homepage of the website, youneedarabbi.com. Okay, youneedarabbi.com. That's where you'll find what uh, Dina is uh, discussing. Thanks, Dina. Yeah. And w w are you heading back to Santa Rosa or are you staying in Massachusetts for a while? For a little while. I'll, I'll see what uh, the future brings, but uh, well, I'm happy on both coasts. I love them both. Let me just mention one thing, and that is I can assure you that I speak the truth when I tell you the weather is nicer in Santa Rosa today than it is in Massachusetts. <laughs> it's more interesting in Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, you know, you, you know what they say? They say there's a Chinese curse. That, you know, may you live in interesting times. Um, <laughs> Thank you. It, it, it may well be a, a curse because I always say to folks, I don't want interesting times. I want bland, boring times. <laughs> I will provide yeah. all the excitement needed. I do not need <laughs> the times to provide exciting, interesting times. Bland oh. and boring is okay oh. for politics. Okay, I really all I, right. I would like no headlines whatsoever in, my, in tomorrow morning's newspaper. <laughs> you know what I'd okay. like to read? You, you in tomorrow, inspire me. <laughs> in tomorrow morning's newspaper, what I'd like to read the headline is, Another great Sunday in America. A hundred million Christians went to church, and not a single one of them came out of church and rioted 
robbed, raped, murdered, or mugged anybody? <laughs> well, you'll never see that, Rabbi. Oh, no. <laughs> but keep hoping. <laughs> All right. Wonderful. Uh, thanks, Gina. Okay. Uh, All right. Then thank you. All right. Stay Bye-bye. warm up there in Massachusetts. Um, I sure will. All righty. Uh, here is a, uh, a chat from Linda. Linda writes, what happened to flight MH370? And um, I, I, would, I would say this. Um, the fact that, uh, you know, look, uh, the, this last flight from Indonesia, it's not exactly the same airline, <clears throat> but this last one, as you know, has been located um, and it's in shallow water and the, uh, they haven't yet retrieved everything yet. They haven't managed to get into the fuselage. They're not bringing up bodies yet um, because of currents and, and so forth. But the fact that this one was recovered so quickly intensifies the mystery about Flight 370. And um, and I, I would have to say that um, with what was the biggest and most expensive search in the history of aviation, searching for the remains of Flight 370, Uh, So much technology, so much money, so much manpower, navies and of different countries, everybody was in on the search and not a sign of Flight 370. I think the rational conclusion is that there's a high probability that that airplane is on the ground somewhere. My guess would be Iran. I think because if you look at the uh, at the flight path, um, Here's what happened. They turned the transponder off. Okay, so you know there was malevolence at work. Uh, The idea that uh, Flight 370, some strange, otherworldly accident overtook it, no. It's not possible because the transponder got turned off by a human hand. And there is no good reason to turn the – okay, for those of you who may not be aware, a transponder is a device on on every single commercial aircraft and on on a great deal – any many private aircraft today. Any aircraft that's going to fly under um, uh, IFR, instrument flight rules, any – any, basically, all aircraft today have a transponder. Transponder is an identification device, and transponder makes it possible to uh, for radar uh, to identify not only that, oh, there's a blip, but it'll actually tell you exactly um, where the blip is, what it is, and what it's doing. And, um, and so somebody turned off flight 370's transponder. We know that. And uh, if the purpose... Do you remember the Egypt Air where the pilot decided to commit suicide and just take the whole plane down with him? Um, and, you know, he's, he's, he's heard quite clearly saying, Allah Akbar, Allah is great. <clears throat> uh, it's, um, if it was that case, there was no reason to turn off the transponder. So that, to me, all, all other things aside, to me, that says that the pilot had a plan. And... Um, uh, flying the airplane up to uh, 40,000 feet for a, a few minutes, um, I would suggest that he probably either disconnected the oxygen actuator for the, for the, uh, for the, for the um, passenger compartment and asphyxiated all the passengers. I think that's possible. Um, or since there's only about a 10-minute oxygen supply carried on airplanes, you know when the, the oxygen masks drop? 
Um, and, you know, hopefully none of you have ever seen it or ever will see it. But when they do drop, um, there's only 10 minutes of oxygen, which is considered to be more than sufficient for the airplane to lower altitude to the point where air density is enough for people to breathe, which is, again, you know, about 10,000 feet. Um, so, uh, uh, so if he goes up to 40,000 feet and either prevents, he just has to disconnect the power supply to the oxygen actuator so the the uh, the oxygen masks do not drop. Uh, passengers, <clears throat> excuse me, passengers will asphyxiate, <clears throat> excuse me, quite quickly. Uh, you know, if he turns off the um, the uh, the air supply to the passenger compartment, the the cockpit has oxygen for about thirty minutes, and so uh, whatever he did, we don't know. But uh, the turning off of the transponder and the climb to that altitude would suggest to me uh, the pilot. Um, intended to go off the radar screen and um, and and destroy all the passengers. Okay, well, what did he do next? Well, I think what he may have done next, and I, I took a look at uh, at some of the flight plans of uh, of that day, and there was a Singapore Airlines, and uh, I, this isn't this isn't my theory. It's the theory of um, my one of the people I consult who who is an advisor <clears throat> uh, to airline manufacturers and knows a great deal about it. And I, I checked to see, and he's he's exactly right that there was a Singapore airline only a mile or two uh, ahead of three seventy. And what he the pilot could have done is shadowed it. In other words, turn off the transponder and then drop into the radar shadow of the Singapore Airlines just up ahead of him. And he could have gone quite a ways like that without any air radar being able to spot him. And then he could have peeled off to the right and uh, landed in Iran. So you want my best guess at the moment? Um, I do not believe it went into the ocean because there simply is no scenario that a plane can drop from 30,000 feet into the ocean and not uh, break up and have floatable parts come to the surface. Just not possible. And with the kind of search that was on, not possible that something wouldn't have been seen. So my best guess is that um, the Iranians um, have been on the search for pilots that they could corrupt. Uh, they found their man in uh, Indonesia. And uh, it might have been a guy, and I don't remember the details we know about this particular individual, but all you need is somebody with marital problems and financial problems. And the Iranians offer him a massive slice of heaven in the form of uh, a very large payout. Uh, and they say, here's what you got to do. Just bring us an airplane. And um, also then when I thought about that, I realized that um, – uh, when the president made the horrible mess he did in Libya, uh, deposing Gaddafi was a real dumb move because it uh, Gaddafi had essentially become pro-Western. I'm not saying he was a saint. He was a horrible guy, but he was our horrible guy. And now you've got a bunch of Islamists in control. Well, one of the things that happened is there were a lot of very high-quality airplanes that vanished let alone weaponry, by the way. But there were civilian, inter long-range civilian airplanes that vanished. I think they're also in Iran. Uh, what does Iran need a fleet of long-range airplanes for? I have no idea, but it's not for, saying, for anything good, I'll tell you that. So that would be my guess. Uh, if I had a guess right now of what's going on with uh, Iran, 
Uh, what happened to Flight 370? I'd say the people are dead and the airplane is on the ground in Iran. That would be my view. Um, and now we can go to uh, caller Andrew, who I believe is the next caller on, ho- on hold here on the Rabbi Daniel Lappin radio show. And if that is correct, I welcome you, Andrew. Good morning. How are you doing? Doing great. Thank you so much for taking my call. You are most welcome. And by the way, uh, are you not impressed that this is the first Sunday we're not playing area code bingo? Are you not impressed that I was able to say, Andrew, welcome to the show? I, I am impressed, and I'm uh, grateful for the times of area code bingo because I think I was the one who coined that phrase, so I you appreciate it every time I was able to contribute. <laughs> you, you certainly have contributed in many ways, and I appreciate your willingness, particularly your willingness to help with some of the podcasting stuff, which I'm sort of uh, – I've been <laughs> promising that for longer than I'm happy about. But anyway, yes, uh, Producer Rebel, who runs this show – uh, came up with a, a solution today. So thank you, Producer Rebel. Grateful to you. It sure makes it a whole lot easier on my part. So um, thanks, Andrew. Um, and uh, what's up? I, I just wanted to take a, a quick moment. I know I am the coveted owner of many of your moments of great advice, and I look forward to not being able to call in because many others are uh, you know, banging down your door for ancient Jewish wisdom. But uh, six months ago, I said it was the six-month anniversary of the first time I called, and it's six months later, so I officially turned my timidity into triumph and my diffidence into determination or any of the other wonderful things you say. So oh, I just wanted to... Very, oh, very nice. So it's a year since we first met on the air. Yes, yes. And oh, uh, very, very happy speaking, with you has, speaking with you has been even immensely more helpful than the books because, of course, you must write to a broad audience and to be able to have individual questions uh, brought home in an individual way is, of course, the reason why it's always better face-to-face. Oh, very, um, so very I nice. Just, very, very happy, very happy to know that. And uh, people should know one of the reasons that uh, I appreciate Andrew. And uh, Andrew, do you remember, was it last week or the week before, but as <sighs> you, ca- you came on, somebody else who was on hold went, oh! <laughs> oh, I remember clearly, yes. Um, anyway, I think that was I think that was Hannah from San Francisco. She confessed <laughs> to her uh, social faux pas, um, but I but I know that uh, you have a thicker skin than than all of that, um, so <laughs> you're able to deal with it. But one of the reasons I appreciate you, people are not aware of this, but but that is that uh, a couple of months ago I had a speech uh, in Bloomington, Illinois, and you actually drove miles and miles and miles to be there and I had an opportunity to meet you but it was the second time we met because on another occasion you drove miles and miles and miles to southern Illinois uh, where I was taping some television and we had the opportunity to meet then so uh, um, I just I just really appreciate that level of friendship so sure. thanks a lot. well I hope many more uh, memories to come and I was uh, very heartwarmed to uh, see on your uh, LinkedIn profile as uh, it was commemorating uh, years of anniversary of being in the ministries and uh, how many CEOs and vice presidents and uh, uh, leading chairs of, of people were in the ranks of people congratulating you. And I can't help but think that uh, many of them uh, were probably uh, many more rungs down the ladder before they came across your teachings and probably had the good product of all the wonderful um. Yeah, I like to, I like to think so. I like to think so. And I must tell you that among my, I mean, not, uh, you know, I don't want to 
be obnoxiously tooting my horn here, but I will just say that no, I, that's my job. <laughs> I <laughs> thanks. Uh, the, the kind of uh, letters I love receiving probably more than any others are letters that, uh, that talk about how people change their financial um, fortunes by adopting. And I mean, just to give you one, I got a little while ago and it really meant the world to me. I got a lump in my throat as I read it. And, uh, and I, I, every now and then, whenever I feel a bit down for one reason or another, I go and read some of these letters again. This was from a, uh, a guy who was a police officer in a small town police force. And he was, he wrote about how he used to have to put in a lot of overtime to support his family. And he hardly ever, it was a choice between seeing his family or supporting them. And he chose supporting them and he didn't see much of them. And, um, he read my book, Thou Shall Prosper, and uh, he said, I prayed on it. I spoke with my wife. We both prayed on it. He said, the next day I gave notice. I gave notice. I left the police department and I opened a business. And um, the letter, honest to goodness, the letter was accompanied by a $10,000 donation to the ministry. Um, and he said, uh, I include this because this is the first tithe of my first year's revenue in my own business as a result of, um, of what you taught me. I can't tell you uh, sort of how meaningful that letter to me was, not just the check, but more than that perhaps was, uh, was somebody acknowledging that. So anyways, I, it's enough about me, me more about you. Sure. Well, I, like I said, today was just meant to be a quick thank you and uh, many more good it. reports to come. All right, and, thanks uh, very much, one of and, them is, uh, and uh, Andrew, we'll, um, <laughs> we'll be in touch uh, by email in connection with some of the podcast work. I'm sorry I've, I'm so delayed on all of that. All right, thank you for all thank your you. interesting thanks. topics today. Thanks a lot. Okay, there goes Bye. Andrew. And uh, by the way, one of the ways you can email me direct, I mean, the best way is by going to my website. You want to communicate with me directly, go to the website, rabbidaniellappin.com, rabbidaniellappin.com, and click on the contact us, and uh, I'll get your email. But uh, some people also send me an email to uh, radiorabbi at rabbidaniellappin.com, and um David writes um, uh, the Bay Area leftist agenda, and I'll, I'll take a look at more of that. Um, he also mentions um, what does he say here? Um, oh, he's got a, a list of statistics on Muslim countries. I will take a look at that. I appreciate that. Thanks very much indeed. Um, uh, Andrew, of course, wrote about my podcast download, which I'm behind on. Uh, Captain Terry writes, oh, just that he's hearing me fine, but that was that was last Sunday, not this Sunday. Don, listening in Tennessee, says uh, he's listening on a Sea Crane Wi-Fi radio. By the way, Sea Crane, very interesting company. I should actually get them to advertise on this show because I'm such an enthusiast. They they sell fantastic radios. So even though even though they are not paid advertisers on the show, I will mention that uh, if you are in the market for a new radio, check out Seacrane.com. Uh, uh, well, I'm not sure what their website is, but uh, but anyway, worth worth definitely worth looking at. I also um, I also wanted to just finish off <clears throat> the chat room. Okay, and if those of you are not aware, if you look on the w4cy.com page, w4w the number four cy.com, there's a chat, and um, 
so I told you one person wrote asking me if I had an opinion on flight 370, Malaysia Airlines flight 370. I told you what I thought. Um, then we've got um, uh, do, 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 do. Um, then we've got oh, Ariel writes about uh, the president um, committing blasphemy against Islam, Christianity, and Judaism every time he speaks. Um, Captain Terry uh, points out where he was schooled. Um, uh, Gemma writes the high birth rate with Muslims generally having many, many more children than the average American family. Um, Madonna writes, well, it's actually Steve from Idaho, but the system assigned Steve of Idaho the name Madonna, for heaven's sake. Um, yeah, indeed. If we assume that um, the president is not a Muslim, ask yourself, what would he do differently if he was? Um, interesting question, but I'm, I'm actually quite persuaded that he's not. What I, I do think he believes in uh, socialism. I believe he is intrinsically hostile uh, to white people. I think he's hostile to um, countries that were former colonial countries. I think, I mean, based on what he's done, I, I think that's pretty clear. Um, Jeremy writes, can you speak to the abundance of Hispanic immigration in the United States? Yes, I can. Um, Captain Terry writes, I do delivery around the Mediterranean and often go to Egypt for the owners who wish to see the pyramids. I've sailed on Lake Titicaca in Bolivia. I think that's one of the high lakes of the world. Um, <laughs> he says, okay, what happened is a little earlier, uh, Captain Terry writes he, he, that he had a, an ambition to sail on the Dead Sea, in it, which is partially bordered by Jordan, partially by Israel. I tried to discourage him, and he said, well, it's not the actual conditions of sailing. It's the act of clearing a bucket list. My response is I'm not persuaded. I suggest you clean your bucket list and uh, take some worthless things off it, put some worthwhile things on it. Believe me, sailing on the Dead Sea, it, let me put it this way. Any activity which has meaning only in that you can then boast about it or talk about it has no meaning, okay? Believe me, if an activity is is like really, really valueless, you know, like – I've got to say, climbing a high mountain, that probably is not valueless because it's immensely challenging. And so you probably do feel different about yourself. If you have free climbed El Capitan in Yosemite Valley, you probably feel differently about yourself than you did the way before you did the climb. I can see value in that. Have that on your bucket list. But sailing a boat in the Dead Sea, come on, Captain Terry, come on, do me a favor. It's totally pointless. It's unenjoyable. There's nothing to it. And its only value would be to then say, well, I've sailed on the highest lake and on the lowest body of water. And my view is that if an activity only has meaning in being able to talk about it, it's not worth doing. Just my view. But uh, if you insist on sailing the Dead Sea, I'll do everything I can to help you. Um, okay. Geo from Montreal writes – Hi, my radio rabbi. If you haven't done so already, can you address when we will have access to podcasts? And, um, okay, um, I know I've been saying any week on this, and I'm embarrassed that it has not yet come about, but um, uh, I don't have a good excuse on that other than that I'm sort of being tugged in a number of different directions, but I know that the podcast is really important and uh, Andrew has offered volunteer to help on that. And I've got some other people working on it. 
Uh, all I can do is apologize to you, Gio, and say that um, I promise you I will I will trumpet it from the treetops. I will send out um, an email. By the way, I want to make sure you're all receiving my weekly email called Thought Tools. I hope you're all receiving that. And if you are, I will make no secret of the fact that the Thought Tools are available. Excuse me, that the podcast is available. And uh, thank you for nudging me out, uh, Geo, writing from Montreal. By the way, I'm reading, I'm reading people who have written on the chat room the uh, w4cy.com chat room on the page, the homepage of w4cy. So Gio writes from Montreal. I appreciate it. And I will, um, I, I look forward, <laughs> more than look forward. I desperately am eager to be able to tell you ASAP that uh, we do have that. Uh, Gemma writes, I live in a mixed neighborhood. Yes, there's less crime, but I think the neighborhoods don't mix very much, but stick to very much stick to their own group. There's probably more interaction when a neighborhood reflected a certain homogenous makeup. Multiculturalism has benefits, but also costs. No, I think multiculturalism is terrible. I think it's an absolute disaster. Most people naturally gravitate to others like themselves. Sure, that's true. This can lead to a tribal mentality that can be seen as negative and us versus, it's all true. I I do find mixed neighborhoods uh, more comfortable. And I've I've lived in different kinds of neighborhoods, but I, I do like those. Uh, Nicole writes nothing, just she's there. Uh, Jeremy writes, I'm troubled by the very vocal Hispanics in San Francisco area, many who speak no English and who are expecting rent control and the governmental uh, the government to provide them with affordable housing. Seems a mentality of entitlement by illegals very troubling. What do you think we can do to protect our previous community work ethos property from higher taxation to pay for their demands? That's a massive problem. It's a massive problem. Uh, not sure I'm going to actually talk about that today, but it's certainly a topic worthy of serious conversation. Uh, the Bay Area, if you expand the Bay Area to include the Central Valley, that is where uh, the presence of um, of illegal immigrants and the change they're inflicting on the culture is most visible. If you drive through California Central Valley today and you remember what it was like in the 80s, which I do, uh, you will be shocked at the change in culture. And I'm talking about basic things like trash, trash on the on the highways. You know, part, part of a Judeo-Christian culture, and I can explain why that is, but for now the, the, the reality is that part of it is cleanliness. Cleanliness is a virtue in Judeo-Christian thinking. It is not a virtue in, um, uh, in uh, Quranic thinking just evidenced by Quranic societies, and it, uh, it isn't much of a, a value among, you know, I'd say Hispanic immigrants are, are Catholics. Um, yeah, I'm not, sure I'm, I'm not sure they are. I mean, nominally, yes, but in terms of Catholicism and Christianity shaping their culture, that's not, not evident. Um, um, <laughs> Peter writes um, that he wants to hear from Hannah. Uh, Captain Terry writes, the rules of modern warfare is restricted by the Geneva Convention. Um, Boca is not a sign. We should take the gloves off and eradicate Islam. Um, uh, and Gemma agrees with me that she likes politics to be bland and boring. Um, the, US, uh, the U.S. is willing to fight separatists to the last Ukrainian. Look, uh, m- my view on that. And and you know what I will I will actually talk about uh, about Ukraine in in just a moment if 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 I actually get to that topic today I will do that but first of all 
first of all, let us um, let us go to the next caller. And the next caller is none other than Hannah from San Francisco. Uh, Hannah, welcome to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Radio Show. And uh, and um, oh, this is great. We got we we got uh, Charlotte waiting to speak to me. We got a number of listeners, but uh, callers. But first of all, Hannah, welcome. How are you doing? Good morning, Rabbi. I tried very hard not to sigh, and I apologize to Andrew. <laughs> I've got a feeling Andrew's big-minded and uh, and he's a successful business professional. And if there's one thing successful business professionals have learned, it is to take rejection. So uh, I'm I'm assuming that no damage was done. I hope so. Anyway, I was going. I my comment is on 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 what you said about American Muslims. I don't consider them such big angels. You know, I I always resent that when they say that the majority of Muslims are moderate Muslims. There's only a few extremists. I think it's the other way around. I think the majority are extremists, and there definitely are a few moderates. But if they are moderates, let's say they are a majority, and I'm not talking only about the United States. In the world, let's say they are the majority, then where are the demonstrations? They should go out on the street and demonstrate. Their brothers and sisters, the co-religionists, are committing so many evil crimes. I mean, and they just sleep in bed and say nothing. If you are really a moderate, organize a, a demonstration on a Washington Mall of a million Muslims, if necessary. Yeah, I think, uh, Hannah, don't hold your breath waiting for that to happen. Well, so they don't tell me you're moderate. Then you are and, proved, because I don't think that uh, the basic thing, they every, including the Obama, the old, every day I have to hear, that has nothing to do with Islam. That's yeah. the biggest nonsense I ever heard. It is Islam. That's what it is. There uh, are some the different Muslims uh, around. I'm not denying it. But there are very few. And, and, and they are the ones who admit that it is this, the religion. And I'm sick and tired of everybody give, making excuses for them. For what? They're not victims. They're, they're murderers. Um, Hannah, you know, I'm not going to let you come on the show anymore because you make me look bad. You make me sound boring and bland. You're so passionate. Why? I You're so passionate. You are so exciting. You are so vital that by comparison, I sound as if I'm half asleep. Well, uh, the problem is that uh, I feel very, very strong about this issue. And I, and I agree it. with you. I think nothing is more pathetic and cowardly than to listen to French President Hollande and to listen yeah, to it makes me sick. President Obama and to listen to Attorney General Holder, all three of whom made these statements that this has nothing to do with Islam. You know, it would yeah, be nice. It, it, would, it would be nice to hear a Muslim say this has nothing to do with Islam. To hear the French president and the United States president and the United States Attorney General say it reeks of cowardice. It's it is, it is really very upsetting to me. I read so many articles. Believe me, I don't think there's a conservative website on, in the world that I don't read. And believe me, it is a very upsetting issue. I mean, and when thousands and, of people uh, are murdered. Just to, just, to, just to put things into perspective, you read all these conservative websites on your 
iPod. <laughs> Who you, which you own because of? Because of Rabbi Daniel Lapin. Okay, thank you. Now back to your topic. Well, the point is that um, there are thousands of people, Christians in majority, but because there are no Jews in the Middle East, the Middle East only Jews are living in Israel. They, 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 by the way, there are 900 uh, Jews from Muslim countries who were kicked out, so they could be, they, they could also be claimed to be refugees. But not, they were not all not, not they all live in Israel and they're doing very well, and so are their children and their grandchildren. Not not 900, 900,000. 900,000, yes. Yes, that's right. Um, and look, and, and uh, there are thousands of people are murdered every day in the most horrible ways all over the Middle East and in Africa. Okay, so, and not one word from the president. I am not even sure the Pope said anything. Yeah, no, it's, uh, you're exactly right. And, and you'll also notice that uh, the president who uh, said not going to rest until the girls kidnapped by the Islamic Boko Haram in Nigeria have been recovered. Well, he's, uh, he's forgotten about that by now. But look, He slept uh, very well since then. You're exactly right. Uh, I would never suggest that, uh, that uh, American Muslims are angels, or would I suggest every single American Muslim is not an angel. But I do agree with you that, um, that, the, uh, that the, the protests are not forthcoming. But here is something that was forthcoming, and once again, our president was missing in action. Um, Hannah, did you read the speech given by President Sisi of Egypt? Yes, I did, and I, I, I hope he gets the, the Nobel Peace Prize. It's a most remarkable speech, and for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, he basically gave a speech to the Muslim world saying it's not appropriate, it's no longer acceptable for the world to get to hate Islam because all we do is bring terror and destruction. It was a brave, fantastic speech. Obama has said nothing about it. No, and, no, not a word. And the reason is that uh, he prefers Islamists. He's he sure does. He's a very he takes, sympathetic to them. He and he personally. hates Israel, by the way. Oh, yeah. And uh, certainly he also hates England. Uh, he hates Western countries in general. And, um, and those countries, by the way, recognize this. And, and Hannah, I'm going to say farewell to you for now, not because you overshadow me with your wonderful passion. No, I'm bigger than that. I can withstand that, Hannah. I welcome <laughs> your passion. I don't feel well. I would. I, I wouldn't know half the things that I do read, and everything I read. Like I said, it's it's thanks to you. So you get credit too. <laughs> but no, I, I I love your passion, and uh, and it is true that I uh, I am inspired, and uh, and one of one of the ways to kill radio, by the way, is is to sound completely without passion. To sound com. You know, if you if you sound is one of the reasons, by the way, that uh, that liberal liberal talk radio has never ever flourished. No, really that does. Um, and uh, and part of the reason is that uh, the passion is uh, is seldom to be found in uh, in these areas. Anyways, uh, great talking with you, or shall Thank I say, you, great, great hearing from you. And yes, I do think that one of the uh, terrible mistakes being made at the moment is the war that Obama is waging on uh, Putin of Russia. Why do I say that? Because I believe that Obama is doing this primarily in order to deflect attention from where the war should be waged right now, which is against Islam. And, um, and instead of 
constantly assuring the world that Islam is peaceful and that these terror activities have nothing whatsoever to do with Islam, which, by the way, would sound more credible. And look, I, I do. I feel bad about Muslim listeners to this show uh, because I've had some very interesting conversations with callers who are Islamic, and we've had reasonable, productive conversations. And I feel bad um, saying this for you guys, but uh, the this claim that the terror activities have nothing to do with Islam. This is what we hear from President Hollande of France and our president and our attorney general. Oh, nothing to do with Islam. That would have more credibility if, shall we say, 50% of the terrorism around the world came from <clears throat> Quakers and Mormons and 50% came from Muslims. And at that point, somebody says, you know what, it's wrong to, uh, it's wrong to link terrorism with Islam. I'd say, yeah, you know, you, you're probably right. But I'd certainly want to explore what are the common factors shared by Islam, the LDS church, and Quakerism. But it isn't like that. All the terror activities around the world are perpetrated by and in the name of Islam. So to just make a statement, particularly when no Islamic leader has made that statement – but as a Westerner, for you to make that statement, oh, it's nothing to do with Islam, um, that reflects nothing but cowardice. And, uh, and their reluctance to confront Islam, I believe, is what is forcing or making or motivating the president to make war on Putin. I believe the smart thing would be to be making an ally of Putin and to make Russia part of the Western struggle against Islam. I do believe that they are natural allies of ours. Things change in the world, you understand? Yes, we had a long Cold War, which, thank God, never came to blows. Times have changed. And in exactly the same way that uh, we are today close allies of the Japanese and we value the connection, we value the friendship, times change. Today, the smart thing, a smart American president and an American president filled with wisdom and an American president who wasn't petty and small would be to welcome Putin to the White House and to make him part of the biggest, most significant struggle of our times, which is a culture war between Judeo-Christian faith and the culture of the Koran, which is a struggle between barbarism and civilization, and put Russia and Putin on the side of civilization. That's what you do. That would be the smart thing to do now. That would be the thing any wise American leader who is a statesman, who looked to the future, who wasn't petty and small, that would be what should happen now. It's so obvious that this is something just waiting to happen. But uh, on a personal level, and I do believe our president is tends to be petty in this respect, um, I think he has a personal pique with Putin because Putin made him look stupid when it came to his so-called red line in Syria. I don't think he's forgiven him. And he's determined to wield American power against Putin. I think it's a fatal error. It's a big, big, big mistake in my view. We're now going to uh, call a Charlotte is joining us from beautiful Vermont, probably under several feet of snow, I'd guess. 
Charlotte, welcome to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin radio show. And it's so nice to be able to welcome you by name rather than area code. So thanks to producer Rebel for that. Absolutely. Good morning, Rabbi. Hello, Charlotte. Tell me, are you under snow? Yes. <laughs> but uh, a lot of it is leftover snow. Uh, and it's about uh, about uh, half a foot. All right. Well, when you've got to shovel snow, I don't really care if it's yesterday's snow or today's snow. It's equally heavy. Well, Rabbi, I do not shovel. I pat it down with my snowshoes. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. Although I would have thought that uh, that you would have had no trouble enlisting eager young male enthusiasts from the neighborhood, vying with one another to win your favor by shoveling your snow. <laughs> they're all around the stove in their homes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd like to ask you, earlier in the show, uh, you said that uh, America was more successful and Muslims were more docile in the United States because there are more economic opportunities here. Yeah. Is that correct? But... Um, uh, it seems that uh, it's a well-known fact that the 9-11 killers were part of upper-middle-class families and had traveled and were all educated. Um, you're, you're exactly right. That uh, that does happen to be true. And I think the, the explanation for that is that um, radicalization is more alive in England. Radicalization is more alive in Germany and in France. In other words, because there are such large pockets of disaffiliated uh, Muslims who've, who, and oh, by the way, I should have said one more thing. As, as bad as our welfare system is here, to the extent that illegal immigrants get onto welfare and the extent to which uh, immigrants in America drain our welfare system. I've spoken in the past of the extent to which um, emer emergency rooms of many American cities have been forced to close or have been um, uh, have, have really uh, begun to fail because of the unreasonable demands that have been placed upon them by immigrants who use them as primary medical resources. Uh, in, in spite of all these problems in the United States, they're much worse in Europe. And so in, in, in America, um, whilst a large number of Hispanic immigrants do end up on the welfare rolls, uh, I don't know the percentage of Muslim immigrants that end up on welfare rolls, but I don't get the impression that it's exactly the same. I do get the impression that in Europe, whether I mean in Sweden and in Norway, I know it's true. I suspect it's true in France. And don't forget, these countries have uh, welfare systems. And I hate the term welfare because it's a nice word. Welfare sounds as if it's a good thing, when in reality, it's not a good thing. Uh, but in Europe, the uh, social systems are more developed. And more, far more Muslim immigrants are on the welfare system in Europe than they are here. And that encourages radicalization. It's a bad thing. People get damaged spiritually by being charity recipients. And uh, the, the, the disproportionately large number of blacks in America who are on welfare is damaging. It's destructive. And um, 
I saw some figures from Walter Williams, who's a black economist. I mentioned his color only because, you know, the ridiculous hypersensitivity of race. I want to make sure that people know that this is not a white rabbi saying this, but it's a black economist saying it. And that is that black crime figures have gone worse since the civil rights movement, not better. In other words, dysfunctionality in the black community has gotten worse since the 1960s, not better. So you cannot attribute it to slavery because things were getting better and better and better. They only started getting worse in the 1960s. What changed? What changed was the increase in the proportion of African-Americans who went on to welfare. That is destructive. And the Another difference, I believe, between American Muslims and European Muslims is in Europe, many, many, many more of them are welfare recipients than in America. And the proof of it, by the way, is there's so many times, haven't you noticed, you know, you many, well, all right, I'm not even going to go there. But the bottom line is, I think that that is one of the very big differences. So uh, uh, being on welfare. I think, it's a, it's, I think it's a human trait that when you're given something, uh, some part of you resents the giver. And you're 100% uh, an old, right. An old farmer told me the story once that uh, he knew a man down the road who wanted to buy some property, and he didn't have the money. So the old farmer uh, gave him the money for it, and the man never said anything to him. Like he made like he was dead. You know, he didn't acknowledge his existence after that. Right. And so I think it's just a human trait that yes. you resent. No, it's more, you don't have to think it. I'll confirm it for you. The general rule in ancient Jewish wisdom is that there's no instruction in the Bible for anything that you would do naturally by yourself. So, instance, so for instance, nowhere in the Bible does it say, uh, if you cut yourself, stop the bleeding. Because everybody, it's automatic. You want to stop bleeding because you know it's your lifeblood ebbing out. You want to stop it. Nowhere in the Bible does it say eat three good meals a day because you don't have to worry. People are going to eat plenty. But what it does say in the Bible is honor your father and your mother. You know why? Because it does not come naturally. The two people to whom you owe more than anyone else in the whole world are your parents. And the natural instinct is to resent your parents. Well, because also familiarity breeds contempt. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks, Charlotte. Good speaking with you. Well, hey, I want to point out one other thing. This might be an anomaly, but Moroccan-born mayor of Rotterdam, Ahmed Aboutaleb, also said... Uh, something quite interesting this week that if you basically, uh, if you can't adapt to your new country, then uh, F off, he said. <laughs> yes, exactly. No, there are, there are definitely bright lights. Did you read the speech by um, Premier Sisi of Egypt, President Sisi? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's a remarkable speech. And, and those of you, by the way, who haven't read it like Charlotte has, but those of you who haven't, go on the Internet and see it because it's encouraging. That is encouraging. And it's shocking to me that our president failed to give him a public pat on the back for that speech. Inexplicable to me. Well, it's not inexplicable. It's predictable. Charlotte, thanks so much. Wonderful hearing from you. OK, bye bye. Bye for now. Thanks for calling. Um,
here's an, an interesting thing you should be aware of, by the way. Be aware that uh, Hitler himself, Hitler himself, um, and uh, and it's in okay. Albert Speer uh, was Hitler's chief architect, and Speer was imprisoned in Spandau prison, and he wrote something called Spandau Diaries, and uh, he records that Hitler used to complain to him um, that it's 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 a misfortune that we were born into the wrong religion," said Hitler. Why did it have to be Christianity with its meekness and flabbiness? And he used to say Islam was a manner religion, a religion of men. He said the soldiers of Islam received a warrior's heaven, uh, a real earthly paradise with women and wine. And this, Hitler argued, was much more suited to the Germanic temperament than the Jewish filth and priestly twaddle of Christianity. (laughs) So not surprisingly, Hitler felt comfortable with Islam and equally predictably, as you know, Islam felt totally comfortable with Nazism. The Grand Mufti of Jerusalem uh, made no secret of his um, admiration of the Nazis. So uh, this, by the way, is something I've done quite a lot of work on and uh, I, I have an audio CD program called um, The uh, the Clash of Destiny, Decoding the Secrets of Israel and Islam. And you'll see that on my website, by the way, youneedarabbi.com. And in Decoding the Secrets of Israel and Islam, I point out the very natural linkage between Islam and Nazism. I, I think that's very, very interesting. And um, uh, also, just in terms of, of Europe's complete failure to confront the Muslim presence in its midst, um, it, it's kind of interesting. And um, you see, we have a tradition of freedom of speech in the United States of America. But with all this Charlie uh, uh, fuss, anybody would think that defense of free speech has been this long-standing uh, French tradition. It isn't. Nothing could be further from the truth. The French have been suppressing free speech for decades, very much so. Uh, in 1990, France passed a law which punished denial of the Holocaust. Now, my friends, I'm Jewish, and I oppose that publicly and vocally. Germany passed the same law. I opposed it publicly. I said it's a ter- Canada did. In Canada, people were prosecuted for saying the Holocaust never happened. Hey, this is a terrible thing. It was shocking that Jews encouraged the suppression of free speech. If somebody wants to say the Holocaust never happened, let him say it. How awful, because that same tool of suppression of free speech would be ultimately used in the most tyrannic way. And France was among the countries that suppressed um, anybody who wanted to say the Holocaust never happened. It's insane, because then you end up with a special category of protected speech and other categories of non-protected speech. Well, it didn't take long, obviously, and this was so predictable. It's one of the reasons at the time I spoke 
actively and loudly against laws that criminalized um, con- uh, denial of the Holocaust. You should not criminalize it. People should be able to say anything. And uh, predictably, as soon as it became a crime to deny the Holocaust, the next thing they did was um, they wanted to make sure that uh, gays would be a protected group and that in France they started introducing laws that it became illegal to talk about foreign genocides, colonialism, the slave trade. And um, uh, in nine, uh, Francois Mitterrand, French's, uh, the, 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 the president of France's socialist party, uh, created a government uh, to rally minority, vo- minority voters to hound those who worked against the interest. Basically, the balkanization of society. This is a really, really, really bad idea. And uh, unfortunately, we've seen a whole lot of it. Um, you know what? Um, we've got uh, we've got callers. We got call. We got Al. We got Carl. We got a number of callers. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, and callers, I'm sorry, guys. You need to call a little earlier in the show. And I know you've been on hold for a while, but um, unfortunately, there is not going to be able to to be a discussion or a, a phone conversation. We are sadly too close um, to the end of today's show. So uh, reluctantly, I'm going to have to say Carl and Al and everyone else on hold, I want you to call again next week. I'd love I'd love you to do that. And I will I will get your calls much earlier in the show. But uh, uh, for now, uh, by the way, also another sad comment, the Pope, the Holy Father uh, came out with um, uh, with again, this idea that certain speech should not be allowed to happen. The New York Times came out with that. The London Financial Times came out with it. Let me tell you, all of these organizations that are now coming out with statements, oh, we must put a limit on criticizing the uh, the prophet. And Obama made a statement. You'll remember this one. The future shall not belong to those who criticize the prophet. Well, I don't know about that, but I want to tell you something. The future better belong to those who insist on the right to criticize the prophet. I can prove that the West under liberalism has become cowardly because all of those who are claiming, oh, certain uh, things must not be criticized, what they mean is only Islam. But the New York Times, the Financial Times, and even the Holy Father himself have never said that Christianity shouldn't be criticized. You know why? Because with all the mockery of Christianity, with all the attacks on Christianity, with all the rude comments about Jesus and about Christian leaders, and you, I mean, it's so easy to find this stuff. How many times have Christians gone in in the name of Christianity and shot up editorial offices of newspapers that criticize Christianity? None. And that is why you all say it's must, we mustn't criticize Christianity. But you're just fine with criticizing uh, – you mustn't criticize Islam, but you're just fine with criticizing Christianity. That means you are cowards because either no religion should be criticized or all religions can be criticized. But to refrain from criticizing only those that practice violence, you are cowardly. 
and cowards lose the war. And if we lose the war between barbarism and civilization, we and our children and our children's children will be condemned to live in a thousand years of darkness. But ladies and gentlemen, we are doing everything possible to fight that sad outcome here on the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Radio Show with your help, heard again next Sunday, 10 o'clock East Coast time, right here on W4CY.com. Meanwhile, make sure you subscribe to my Thought Tools. Speak to me at my website, RabbiDanielLappin.com, or you need a rabbi.com. Thanks to each and every one of you. Have a wonderful week, and thanks to Producer Rebel. Till next Sunday. Bye-bye. Thank you.